What up, Cedar Mill youth? My name is Josh, and uh, I know you don't know me, but I'll introduce myself here in a second. I just want to let you know, I am excited to be here. Is anyone excited to be here tonight? Anyone? Woo! Uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm from Boise. I caught a flight this morning, flew over here, and uh, I love hanging out with Nick and Luke, and I love Portland. I think Portland's great. And uh, that's right, that's right. And I've been praying for you. I don't, know, I don't know if that's weird for me to say because you don't really know who I am. But I've been praying for tonight, and I've been praying that God would use tonight in big ways. And uh, so before we just get started, do you believe that? Do you believe that God can, can speak to you tonight through his word? Um, my church back in Boise, Hill City Church, that's a church that I lead. I posted a video on our Instagram, and I invited our church. And I've been getting text messages all day from people in Boise saying they're praying for you. So just, I just want to let that sink in for a moment, that God can use tonight to literally shape your life and change your life. And I believe he's going to move in powerful ways. So here's a picture of my family. Uh, that's my wife, Shana, and our daughter, Lily. And that's like our, you know, family portrait, fancy photo. Here's more of like a real-life photo. That's us on Halloween. Uh, my daughter, Lily, is like, she just looks exactly like Boo from Monsters, Inc. So that's what we did for, uh, for Halloween. My wife totally did all the costume. My contribution was I drew that picture of Randolph right there. So that's my fancy artwork. And uh, just to be honest, I'm not an expert on this topic that we're talking about. I'm not like a sex expert. I don't go around to high school speaking about sex education or anything uh, like that. I'm, I'm a pastor. I was actually a youth pastor for years before I planted this church, Hill City Church. And here's a picture of my group. Uh, my life group that I led. Those are, those are when there were seniors right there. You can see me uh, over there. And it's a cra it was a crazy group of guys, but uh, I was with that group of guys. That's a group of senior guys right there. Now they're like 22 years old. I was with that group of guys since they've been 12 years old, since they were sixth grade. Any sixth graders here tonight? There we go. You're brave. Thanks for being here. Uh, I was with that group, same group of guys every single year as their leader, in addition to leading in my youth ministry. And every year in our youth ministry, I oversaw the teaching, and we would do a series on dating, relationships, sexuality, all that sort of stuff. But really, a lot of my experience has been walking alongside those guys, those specific guys in our group. Uh, and I, I've walked, along student, walked alongside students who've been in all different places. I've walked alongside students who had children before we had a child because they got their girlfriends pregnant early and they're, not, they're absentee fathers now. They're not around the house anymore. I walked alongside students where they shared something with me and I had to report it to the police in Boise because it was so intense. And uh, those are hard conversations to have. I walked alongside students who, no joke, because of their addiction to pornography, ended them on this cycle, this destructive cycle, that they are still in prison to this day. And at the same time, I've also walked alongside students. In fact, the guy who's like grabbing my ear in that photo, uh, he's actually fully leading our junior high ministry at the church that I pastor. And I'm, my wife and I are meeting with him and his fiance, and I'm officiating his wedding this upcoming summer. And so there's, there's celebrations. We can celebrate that too. We can. I love, I love celebrating. And so that's what, just so you guys know, I'm not here because I've like written books or, you know, I don't have like a ton of infinite knowledge on this topic. 
But truly, truly, I care about you. I've been praying for you. I believe in the power of God's word and that God's word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword and can transform your life. And, and I'm excited to see how he's going to move tonight. And so that's who I am. That's my experience. And, and about you and your experience, I understand that you're probably in a lot of different places here in this room. Uh, on one end of the spectrum, you might be coming into this room um, especially if you're a little bit younger, and you would say the word that would describe your experience with sexuality is innocent. Like, I feel really innocent about this stuff. I don't, you know, there's jokes that people tell, and I don't laugh at the punchline because I don't even know what that word is yet, you know? And here's what I would say to you. If, you. if you come here and you just feel really awkward about this whole thing, first of all, that's totally normal to feel awkward about this topic, right? Let's just get that open right now. Uh, but if you're there and you're on that end, and you say, I feel really innocent, or I don't know a lot of this, things. Two things for you. Number one, please, 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 this is a, please, I beg you, don't Google this stuff, okay? Seriously, the majority of people, when they don't know, like, used to be, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, like, I had dial-up internet when I was growing up, and it made all the weird sounds and stuff. You guys don't even know what I'm talking about, but uh, so, so we didn't Google stuff. We had to actually ask someone. I remember stumbling upon a purity book, a sexual purity book that my brother had. My brother's three years older. And I was reading this chapter, and I, no joke, had no idea what the chapter was about because of the key word. I was like, I don't even know the definition of that word. And my brother and I, we shared a, a, a room. So I was on the top bunk, and he was on the bottom bunk. I remember laying in bed one night, and I was like, hey, Andrew. And it felt so awkward. I was like, what does this word mean? You know, I'm an 11-year-old asking him about this. And if you're there, I want you to know, that's okay. So glad you're here. But please, 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 instead of Googling this stuff, have a conversation. Have a conversation. That's the whole purpose of tonight, is for you to be able to chat with your leaders, to chat with your parents, and to grow and have a conversation. And my prayer for you, if you're on that side of things, is that you would receive wisdom tonight so that you don't have to make the mistakes that others have made and experience the brokenness and learn from that, you can have wisdom beforehand. So that's my prayer for you. On the other end of the spectrum, maybe for you, you would say, it's not that I don't know enough about this topic. I know too much. And, and what I know about sexuality, I know firsthand. And the word that I would use to describe myself isn't innocent. The word that I would use to describe myself is guilty. And, and I feel shame because of things that I've done. I feel embarrassed because of things that I've done. Maybe something has happened to you and you haven't shared it. And, and you feel just this brokenness. You feel dirty. You feel broken. And I also understand what that's like. And I've walked alongside a lot of people who've, who've lived that out as well. And my prayer for you going into tonight is that you would receive grace and forgiveness and ultimately healing. And I believe God can do a powerful work of healing. And anywhere in between, right? You don't have to be one or the other. Anywhere in between, I believe God can speak to you and do powerful things in your life tonight. So let's start off. I'm going to use these words a lot tonight, so I want to define our terms right from the beginning. Uh, the first term is sexual immorality or sexual impurity, and I'm going to define that as disregarding God's instructions for sexuality, disregarding it redefining it, saying, okay, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to define it for myself. I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to follow my favorite Netflix show or follow whatever my friends are saying at school. That's sexual immorality, sexual impurity. And on the flip side, you have sexual integrity or sexual purity, and that's following God's instructions. So that's the big difference, right? On one side, it's disregarding what God says. On the other side, it's following what God says. So that leads us to the question, what does God say 
about sexuality. And let's go to what I would say is one of the most simple passages that describes sexuality for us as humans, and that's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Uh, the author of Hebrews writes this, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. That's really, really key. Let's say those underlined words together. Ready? The marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. The most simple definition for sexuality done God's way is keeping sexual things within the covenant relationship of a marriage between a man and a woman. That's, the, that's just, that's in, in God's word, time and time again, that's the difference between those two things. And so that includes whenever we see sex or any sexual activity, thoughts, you know, words, all that sort of stuff being taken out of a covenant relationship, a marriage relationship, it becomes impure. It becomes immoral. And so that includes things that you do with your boyfriend or girlfriend if you're not married. It includes actual things, you know, actions that you do with someone if you're not married. It includes things that you do to yourself in your room, things that you do that, that when you, you have to lock the door because you do those things. It also includes, when you look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, not just the physical actions, but, but even the thoughts and the things that you look at. And so that includes things like pornography, things that are putting those images into your head. And, and so it's, it's, it's thoughts, it's words, it's, it's feelings. And, and really, it's hard because the question we ask a lot of times is, where's the line? And, and that's the clearest line that we can see in Scripture, that sexual things go inside of a covenant relationship in marriage between a man and a woman. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two examples from the Old Testament, one what not to do, one, what to do, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6, which I think is one of the best passages uh, about sexuality in the Bible. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 14. You can go ahead and turn there if you have a Bible. Judges 14 is our first text of the night, and it's a story about a guy named Samson. Heard of Samson before? Okay, so Samson, he's, you know, if you're in Sunday school, he's like a Bible hero. He's really not, though. He's like an anti-hero. He's like so messed up and so broken. He's our example of what not to do. Uh, Samson was one of those guys who was a judge, which meant that God had a destiny for him. Do you know that God has a destiny for you? That there are things that God has called you to do and specifically gifted and designed you to do in your life? God had a destiny for Samson before he was born to the point where a man of God went to Samson's parents, said, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him Samson, and, and he is going to deliver the Israelites from oppression from this group named the Philistines. So the Philistines are oppressing the Israelites, and Samson is supposed to be the deliverer. He's supposed to save the Israelites from the Philistines. So let's pick up the story when Samson grows up. He becomes an adult. This is how his adult story starts. Judges 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young, what? Philistine, Philistine woman. You remember, or were the Philistines the good guys in the story? Bad guys. They're the bad guys, right? Samson's supposed to defeat the Philistines. He's supposed to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. He saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, get this, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me. Go get her for me right? Get her for me as my wife. And his father and mother replied, and this is the pushback, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? They're saying, aren't, you, aren't those guys our enemies? No, 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 no. That's not the right woman. Like, that's not the right person for you. you do you ever have rules from your parents and you don't quite, you don't quite agree with them? 
This is one of those moments for Samson, right? And then look at what he says. But Samson said to his father, he's talking back to his dad, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Literally, the right one in Hebrew is, she's right in my eyes. So three times in these three verses, Samson sees a woman, he sees a woman, and she's right in his what? Why does Samson want this woman? Say it. Why does he want, why does he want this woman? She's hot. That's it. He hasn't even talked to her. It's not we like the same hobbies. It's not we have compatible personalities. He sees her. He wants her. And he says to his dad, go get her. Okay? That is, okay, dating 101, that's what not to do. Okay? That's, that's this, this whole mentality that Samson has is if it feels good, do it. If you want it, do it, right? It's it just go and, and fulfill your desires, fulfill whatever you want. And if we're honest, that's what our world tells us to do, isn't it? Is whatever looks good, whatever feels good, just go ahead and pursue that. And it's healthy and it's natural. And what ends up happening for Samson is, is he ends up getting married to this woman for a short amount of time. She leaves him for his friend and she ends up dead. And then he ends up later on in the story with a prostitute. He ends up then with another woman named Delilah. If you know the story, she tricks him, hands him over to the Philistines, shaves his head. He gets his eyes gouged out and a temple crashes down on him and kills him. <laughs> moral, moral of the story. Don't date the wrong people or you'll get your eyes gouged out, your head shaved. No, that's not the, that's not the moral of the story, right? But it, it does go to show that leads to destruction. That when we pursue those things outside of God's design, when we, when we use our sexuality outside of God's design, it does indeed lead to destruction. And some of you have these rules at home and your parents are telling you, or maybe you even have leaders here at uh, at youth group who are telling you or trusted friends who are telling you, she's not the right one. He's not the right one. You're not supposed to date right now. And you're pushing back and you say, I don't care. Go get her for me. I don't care. I want one, right? Think about a child who's at the supermarket sitting in the basket who's like, I want the Skittles. Give me the Skittles. And that's the mentality that this grown man Samson has when it comes to his sexuality. He never grew up when it came to his sexuality. And so that's our example of what not to do. So let's go ahead and look at what to do. So this is another example from the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 39. You can go ahead and flip back a few pages. Genesis chapter 39. This is Joseph. Not Joseph, Jesus' stepfather. This is Joseph and the coat of many colors. And you get, you know, he, he's the favorite son and the rest of his brothers hate him. And so they beat him up and they sell him to these slave traders. He ends up in Egypt and he ends up as a servant in Potiphar's household. Potiphar is this total stud. He's the captain of the Pharaoh's guard and he's very wealthy. He has all these servants and Joseph becomes Potiphar's right-hand man. Let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39, the middle of verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Let's be honest, that's a pretty sweet Bible verse right there. If you were to have a biography in the Bible, I'm pretty sure you would want something like that. Or ladies, beautiful and had great outfits or whatever, you know. Um, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after... A while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But Joseph refused. He refused. Uh, He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Are you kidding me? Right? 
He's like, this is not good. This is not a good thing, right? This is not going to lead to your to to a long and happy marriage for you. He says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So not only would this destroy the marriage, and not only would this destroy Joseph's employment for Potiphar, it would also destroy what? His relationship with whom? With God. So there's three problems to what she wants him to do. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So notice this. If she's in a room, he's not in that room. If she walks in the room, he leaves, okay? So he's putting up boundaries upon boundaries so that he won't give in to this temptation. And it doesn't say that Joseph wasn't tempted here, right? That's a significant thing. Like he, he may even think that Potiphar's wife is beautiful, but he puts this boundary in place. And then check this out in verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. So this is suspicious, okay? Where's the, where's the rest of the people? And she caught him by his cloak. So she pops out behind the curtain, caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and read it with me and ran out of the house. Yeah! He ran out, that's right, Amen. He runs out of the house and she still has the coat, right? And so like, he's like fighting. This is like, imagine this. He's fighting. He finally gets free. He's in his underwear. He's like, I don't care. I got to get out of here, right? And so he runs away. And so you see two totally different approaches, right? Where Samson says, I don't care what God says about my sexuality. I see something I like. I want it. Go get it for me, right? That is Samson's approach. And if we're honest, that's the way that our world teaches us to approach sexuality, isn't it? And then you have Joseph, and Joseph is thinking through, and he's like, this isn't right. That's not going to lead to flourishing in your marriage. That's not going to lead to flourishing in, in my workplace. That's not going to lead to flourishing in my own life with God. And so he puts this boundary in your place, and then when that boundary is pressed, what's he do? He gets out of there. He runs away. Now, I wish I could say, and Joseph lived happily ever after, and it totally worked out. Because what ends up happening is Potiphar's wife frames him. She says, oh, he tried, to, he, he tried to force himself on me. And I have his clothes to prove it. And so Potiphar ends up throwing Joseph in prison for years. And it's this really long, drawn-out story. You can read about it in the second half of uh, the book of Genesis. But he doesn't regret that decision a day in his life. Even in prison, it says that God is with him. And so I'm, I'm going to be totally flat-out honest with you. If you live your life and you do dating God's way, you do relationships God's way, you, you live out your sexuality God's way, it may not make you popular. In fact, it might lead to something like what happened with Joseph, where people actually use that as an attack against you. You might get made fun of. People might call you names. That the way that God wants you to live out your sexuality is so different than the world that it will make you, at times, um, on the outside of those groups. And so that's, yeah, that's what to do. So Samson, what not to do? Joseph, what to do? And then we're gonna jump into Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians. So let me tell you about the church in Corinth. So this is, you know, hundreds of years later, right? So you have, uh, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth and Corinth would be very similar to Samson, 
where they have this, this, this goddess for the city, the goddess Aphrodite. You ever heard of Aphrodite in any of your classes, right? Aphrodite is the goddess of love, the goddess of fertility. And archaeologists have literally found at least three different temples to Aphrodite in the ruins of the city of Corinth. And one of them is these, this massive temple to Aphrodite that overlooks the entire city. They've found coins in Corinth in excavations where Aphro- instead of having like the governor on the coin or the president on the coin, Aphrodite is on the coin. And so if you have this goddess of fertility, the way in which they worship that goddess of fertility is with prostitutes. And so you had this culture, this entire city. Think of like Las Vegas. That's maybe the closest thing we can think of, like Sin City. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It might have been what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, right? And that was kind of the way that the, the Corinthian culture was. And then Paul comes around And he shares the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people start giving their lives to Jesus. And the church grows. But here's the issue. They want to follow Jesus, but they don't want to give up the way that they were doing sexuality before. They want to follow Jesus. And literally, people say, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, but I'm still going to visit the prostitutes on Monday. And for us, that kind of blows our mind. We're like, no, that would never happen. It literally was happening in the church. And Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Some of the slogans that the Corinthian church had are, all things are lawful for me. I'll do whatever I want. You know the the saying, you do you, I do me. Like, you do what you want to do, I'll do what I want to do. All things are lawful for me. Another slogan they had is food for the stomach and the stomach for food. If you're hungry, what do you do? You eat. And they would say, if I'm hungry, I eat. If I feel like doing this with my sexuality, I do it. And that was, their, that was their whole way of thinking, their whole way of doing life. But Paul co- counters that and he says, no, 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 the body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That if you've given yourself to Jesus, then you give your entire self to him. And so what you do with your body, what you think about in your mind, what you watch on your computer, that matters to God. And then he gets to the text in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18. Let's read this first verse together. He says this, flee from sexual immorality. Remember what Joseph did? He ran. He flee, right? He says, flee, run away from this stuff. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. That's really interesting. We'll talk about that in a second. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What Paul is saying is he's saying we have to have Joseph's mindset. That we have to see the destructiveness that sexual sin has in our lives and we have to put extra barriers in place to make sure that we run away from it when it comes our way. And he says, all other sins someone, someone sins are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You ever heard that saying that all sins are the same? You ever heard that? That's like a common Christian saying. It's not in the Bible, actually. That yes, all sins are you know, equally punishable by death and all sins are offenses to the eternal God of the universe and we, deter- we deserve eternal punishment because of that, right? But not all sins are the same. It's different if your mom says, don't eat a cookie from you know, the oven because we were saving it for later, you eat a cookie, right? You disobeyed your parents right there. Or if you kill someone, that's different, right? We know that. So the the consequences that sin has are very drastically different. And what Paul is saying is, yes, all sins are punishable. All sins make you guilty, all that sort of stuff. And yet, 
that sexual sin has a destructive power in our lives. In fact, it's not just destructive power in the world. You are the one who received the destruction from sexual sin. It hurts you more than sometimes it hurts anyone else. Here's some ways that we think of. This isn't like, you know, this, again, this isn't like some like gymnasium talk where I talk about pregnancies and STDs or any of that sort of stuff. I'm going to talk about some of the, the actual soul things, things that the damage caused by sexual immorality does against your own soul. One of the things is it turns people into objects in our minds. That sexual immorality actually changes the way that you view human beings. Think about the way that Samson viewed that woman. He never even talked to her. And he says, go get her for me. I want her to gratify a desire that I have. He's turning a human being who's made in the image of God into an object, into a toy, into a plaything. And that, that, that is a true thing that happens when we misuse our sexuality, when we misuse dating. When we date one person, another person, another person, another person, what happens is we are turning humans into objects in our minds. It objectifies men and women. Another way that sin hurts ourselves is this idea of being addicted to it and the escalation. Have you heard of the law of diminishing returns? You ever heard of that before? So the law of diminishing returns is simple, and I'll use the illustration of like alcohol, for example. So for someone who's never drank alcohol, it might take a, you know, a couple drinks. Two, let's say two drinks, they drink two drinks of alcohol, and they're drunk already, and they're like, whoa, that's crazy. Well, if they do that long enough, like every weekend they party or they drink consistently, then pretty soon two drinks doesn't even phase them. So all of a sudden, what do they do? What do they do? They drink three drinks, and now they're feeling it, and they do that for a while, and then that doesn't work anymore. So then what do they do? They keep drinking more, and they add four drinks, you know, and so it's just, you have to put more and more into the equation. If we think about it mathematically, two plus two doesn't equal four anymore. In order to get four, you have to do two plus three equals four, and that doesn't make sense to us, but the reason why, it's, it's, it's a scientific law, the law of diminishing returns, is if you do the same procedure time and time again, you actually build up a tolerance, and you need more in order to get the same result, and the same exact thing is true in our sexuality, that what happens, you ever had like the butterflies when you like see your crush or something like that, you know that feeling, you know it, you can, you can nod, you know it, the butterflies, or, or maybe the first, if you ever, you hold someone's hand, you're like, I'm feeling it right now. You know, like you got the feeling. What, what's happening is actually a chemical reaction in your brain of this chemical called dopamine. Everyone say dopamine. Dopamine. Dopamine, right? It sounds pretty cool. Do it sounds dope. Dopamine. And uh, what dopamine is, this is called the cuddle chemical. It happens when you have, it's the butterflies that you feel. It's, it's literally a chemical going off in your brain. So what happens is you, at first, you, you know, the first time, you know, you have a crush, and you see, it's just you look at them and you feel it, right? Well, pretty soon looking at them isn't enough. And so then you ask them out, you know, you have your friend give them a note, and that friend gives them a note, and eventually you, you hold hands, and now that's what you do. Well, pretty soon holding hands doesn't work, so then you kiss, and pretty soon kissing doesn't work, and it goes on and on and on. That's the law of what? Diminishing returns. And so you go further and further and further down that process. It's the same exact thing with the images you look at. Pretty soon, you know, at first it was just, you know, R-rated movies, and now you're looking up websites. Now all of a sudden, you're in this really, really dark place. And I, 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 I am not making this up when I tell you I know numerous people personally. Not like I read a news article from some other, you know, state over. I literally know people personally who have ended up in prison due to the law of diminishing returns. 
It started out with a simple image, and that was what they needed, and then it just kept going further. It's an addiction. It's an ex- es- escalation, and it will hurt you and do damage to your soul. Another way that we do damage against our own selves with sexual sin is, uh, is this idea of being bonded or connected to the wrong person. Uh, that another couple chemicals that are in the brain is oxytocin. Everyone say oxytocin. That's, that's primarily in females. And then vasopressin. Everyone say vasopressin. You didn't think you were coming to like a biochemistry lesson tonight, but you are, right? That's, that's what we're doing. And, and those two chemicals, uh, they're released when, you know, during sexual activity and that sort of thing, physical intimacy. But they're also released when the only times that they're released is when a mother gives birth, or is breastfeeding, or a father holds their baby for the very first time, vasopressin. They're, they're, not, they're not cuddle chemicals, they're bonding chemicals, right? Think about like the Jurassic Park, the little raptor, you know, and they're like, mommy, you know? It's that moment, it's, it's this moment where it's bonding. And I kid you not, you, maybe you've heard this before, maybe your parents have told the story when you were born or whatever. I was like, sure, whatever, you know, I'm not a big crier. I was in the room when Lily was born. Okay, I'm pretty squeamish about blood, and I'm like, eh, I'm not really interested. I was in the room, and I was weeping my eyes out when I'm holding my daughter. I'm like, she's my daughter. I love her. You know, that's just, that's the, chemicals are going off in my brain so that I never forget that this is my daughter, and I love her, and I will die for her, right? That, that's what's happening in that moment. Now, here's the reality. Those are chemicals that God designed in human beings to solidify a family. Because the only times that those are being released is in that parenting relationship and in the husband-wife relationship. They are designed and created by God to bond us and unite us with one another. Now here's the issue. When there's a boy or a girl at school and just like Samson's parents, they're like, no, that person is trouble. They do not talk to you right. They're a jerk. They do not treat you right. And yet, you bond with them anyways. All of a sudden, you're blind to it. It's the chemicals that you keep going back for, no matter what happens. This is how people end up in abusive relationships, where they're they're literally being hurt by another person, and they don't see it. They don't understand, why am I keep going back to it? Because this, this is biochemistry. Because instead of listening to the wisdom of leaders... Wise counsel from leaders. Instead of listening to the wisdom of parents and, and, and doing dating and, and following those rules from parents, it's all of a sudden, I see it, I want it, go get it for me. And that's the mentality of Samson, and that, there's huge potential for us. And, and you know people on the outside when you've been on the outside, right? And you are so confused. Why would they ever date that person? That person treats them like garbage, right? This isn't just boys, or, like, what? That person treats them like garbage. Why, they talk to them like that. They treat them like dirt. Why do they do that? It's biochemistry. Because they've had that chemical reaction, and now they don't see it. They just go back for the chemicals. And what that also leads to is extremely painful breakups. You know how like every song is about like love stories or breakups, right? And it feels like I was broken up with, okay? I, I've been, dated two girls in my life. One broke up with me, one I married, right? So I'm like 50-50 odds right there. And uh, I'm going to be honest. I had some really hard stuff happen in my childhood. When I got broken up with as a 16-year-old boy, I thought my life was over. Truly. Like, I truly was like, I had a ton of bad stuff happen in my youth, in my adolescence, in my, in my junior high years. And that was like truly in my mind, there's like, that's one of the hardest things I had ever experienced in my life. It leads to extremely painful 
breakup cycles because when you bond, when like God gives you that gift of bonding as a family, it is not meant to be shattered. It's not meant to be broken. That's why the covenant of marriage is so sacred and so holy. And the other thing that this creates is especially when I talk about that idea of of serial dating, when you're dating one person, another person, another person, you're doing the same kinds of activities with each of those people. Think about a sticky note. Stick a sticky note on something and you stick it on something else, you stick it on something else, all of a sudden, it doesn't stick anymore. And that literally happens in our brains where those bonding chemicals stop firing. They stop having the same effect. And so all of a sudden, there's this big myth of, man, I need to practice this stuff or I need to do this. I need to learn as much as I can now so that one day when I'm married, I can really bond, you know, have a good family and we can be compatible and all this sort of stuff. And what happens is the stickiness goes away and all of a sudden that person gets married and they have kids and they leave two years down the road because they've lost their ability to utilize the gift that God was trying to give them. That is what Paul means when he says, the person who sins sexually sins against themselves. That we are the ones who pay the price. That we are the ones who pay the biggest toll for misusing sexuality or doing it out of God's law or out of God's directions. Here's the reality. All powerful things need instructions. It's a really key idea for tonight. All powerful things need instructions. Toothbrushes don't come with instruction manuals. What's the worst you're going to do with a toothbrush? Clean something too much or, you know, like it's not powerful. It's a toothbrush. You, okay, you put it in your mouth. You, you, it brush your teeth. That's what it means, right? All powerful things, though. You, you ever use like a power tool for the first time, like a saw? And you're like, am I doing this right? I hope I don't chop off a toe. I don't even know. Like powerful things need instructions like a blender. Some of you are like, why is there a blender? Because blenders are powerful. They're powerful things, right? We got, it, we, got it, we got it on. It's on. We got a blender up here. You plug it in. Uh, I, was, I was doing some research for this uh, message. No joke. Found a 20-page PDF download for a manual for a Vitamix 7500. Oh, yeah. Anyone have a Vitamix? You, have you seen a Vitamix? These are like, that's the fancy blenders. That's like the cream of the crop top of the line. I had a buddy who was like, we saved up for a year. We got a Vitamix finally. I'm like, dude, you are, take smoothies way too seriously. And uh, he would know, he would know to get, take like big old things of uh, peanuts and put them in the blender, blend it for two seconds, pour it out in a jar. He's like, peanut butter. And I'm like, whoa, dude, that's magic trick right there. And uh, so anyways, I, I was reading this. You're like, what do preachers do when they prepare for talks? We read blender man training manuals. So I was reading this Vitamix. I want to read you some quotes from the Vitamix 7500 uh, instruction manual, which that's not what this is. This is a lower model from Goodwill, but you get the point. Uh, safety instruction number five, avoid contact with moving parts. That seems reasonable. Uh, safety tip number 12, keep hands and utensils out of container while blending to reduce the risk of severe injury to persons or damage to the blender. Also, seemed like a pretty good rule. Makes sense to me. Number 14, there was like 20 of these safety tips, by the way. And then every subsequent page had like a, a, a photo of someone with their hand like getting chopped off. So, okay, number 14. I love, this is one of my favorites. Number 14, blades are sharp. Cool. Blades are sharp. Handle or remove blade or blade assembly with extreme care to avoid injury. And then number 17, always operate blender with the lid firmly in place. Okay. So that's just four of like the 20 instructions on the safety manual, manual for the blender. 
and we need it because the blender is what? Powerful, powerful right? Not necessarily dangerous, powerful. Things that are powerful need instructions. So imagine if you're at home, you got some friends over, you're like, guys, we got this new Vitamix or whatever this one is, right? We got this new blender at my house. Let's, uh, let's see what this thing can do. I know it says leave the lid on, but what happens if we just, oh, better pop that off. What happens if we just take the lid off and we just, oh man, look at that. Used it without the lid in place. That's a rush right there. Oh, it said, you know what it said on here? It said we're not supposed to stick my hands in the blender. What do you guys think? You think that's a good idea? Let's, uh, let's, oh, now that is serious right there. That is fun. You want to try? Let me see if I can go. Let's see how close I can get my hand. What do you think? Okay, let's do it. Ready? What do you think about that? That is so stupid, right? You, exactly. Why, you look at me and you're like, why would you do that? Why in the world would anyone in their right mind, having read the instruction manual, don't put your hands in, having done that, why would they throw that out the window and say, you know what, I think I could write a better instruction manual that says do whatever you want, as long as it's fun, as long as you get a thrill from it, as long as it feels good, because sooner or later, you keep sticking your fingers closer and closer to the blade, and what's going to happen? Those diagrams in the, in the instruction manual are going to happen. You're going to bleed. Your fingers will be chopped off. It's go here's, here's the reality. It's going to destroy you. The damage is going to be done to yourself. And so much of the time, it's not even just yourself, but you say, let me grab your hand. Let's put our hand in this blender together. And we look at that with a blender and we think, how foolish, how silly, what a crazy analogy. And that's exactly what we do with our sexuality. We know that we have a lot more than a 20-page PDF download training manual in God's Word. We know that from start to finish, God's instructions, Old Covenant to New Covenant, are exactly the same when it comes to our sexuality. And yet we say, I think I might know better than God on this. I think as long as it gives me a thrill, as long as I enjoy it, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to disobey, I'm going to disregard as long as I'm having fun, as long as it's enjoyable. And I'm here to tell you that you're going to be damaged. It's going to lead to destruction, and I've seen it so many times in my life. And so here's the question that we ask, the question that we so often ask, and I hear this in, when I was in youth ministry for years, how far can I go without sinning? That was the question. That was like the question. Maybe you've asked that question. So how far can I go without sinning? How far can I, with my boyfriend or girlfriend, how far can I go with watching things on what kind of movie? What's the highest rating I can watch? Or the things I listen to or, or the websites that I go. How far can I go? What kind of pictures can I send and can't I send via social media? How far can I go without sinning? And here's the reality. Asking that question is the same exact thing as asking the question, how close can I get my fingers to this blade? See, that's the wrong question. The question we ought to be asking isn't how far can I go, it's how far can I get? How far can I get from sin? Like, that's the question Joseph asked. Okay, Potiphar's wife, I'm not, I can't quit my job because I'm literally a slave, but if you're in a room, how far can I get from you? How, how far can I go to put the lid back on the blender and use it in its appropriate place, in its appropriate 
way. And really, that is what I hope that you would see from tonight. That this isn't just this, you know, God hates you to have fun and God hates you to, you know, to experience good things. God created these things. God created lots of good things for you to experience in life. It's not that he, he doesn't want you to experience those things. God knows that when you do things outside of his instructions, it always leads to destruction. And so here's, here's what I hope that you would see from tonight. There's a few perspectives, right? And we've talked about one of them a lot, a few perspectives on sexuality. And one is this perspective of freedom on one side of the spectrum. Freedom is the Samson perspective. It's the Corinthian perspective. I would say it's the American perspective, the Portland perspective, the, the majority of people at your school perspective or on your sports team perspective. And that's the perspective on sexuality that that's just do whatever you want. Do whatever feels good. You know, you do you, I do me. And sex is just a recreational activity. It's like when you're younger, you know, you go bowling, you do roller skating. When you're older, you hook up with people. That's just what you do, right? It views sexuality as just a plaything, just a toy. Here's, here's the reality though. On the other end of the spectrum, I hope that you don't leave here with this side. Because if we swing the pendulum too far, we don't go from freedom, we go to fear. And what fear views sex as is a necessary evil. That it's, a, a, it's wrong, it's dirty, it's nasty, it's, we don't talk about it in this household, we don't have conversations about it, and yes, you know, we need it to procreate and have more babies and that sort of thing, but outside of that, it's, it's a necessary evil, right? And there's this kind of fearful. And to be honest, there's a lot of churches for years that have had that. That's why I appreciate being asked to speak on this and why it's a good thing that your youth group covers this topic consistently, not just once in a while. It's, uh, it's amazing for me to hear that every year you guys as a youth group talk about this because I believe if we don't talk about this, we as a church will drift into the fearful perspective. But neither one of those perspectives is the perspective on sexuality that we find in the Bible. The perspective we find in the Bible is this perspective that sex is holy. It's holy because it was created by God. Before Adam and Eve took the bite from the forbidden fruit, sex existed. God blessed it. And he said, go forth and multiply. And he blessed Adam and Eve. So this is a gift that God has created within the context of what? Within the context of marriage. Within the context of commitment. And so here's what we have right here, right? Instead of sticking our hands in a blender, what about we make a smoothie up here? How about that, huh? So let's say, let's say that, you know, we got some delicious uh, black, anyone love blackberries? It's like my favorite berry, right? Let's say the blackberries, you know, this is, this is God's design. The blackberries are lifelong covenant commitment. You know, the vows that they say at the, the wedding ceremony. And then let's say that, you know, the blueberries are the love that you have or the, you know, the respect you have for one another. And then, you know, let's say we got some raspberries, we got some, you know, uh, financial security and you provide for one another financially and you do the, you know, the laundry, you take care of one another. And then, you know, you wrap it all together with, you know, a little bit of, you know, centering your family on Jesus or whatever the orange juice is supposed to represent here, right? And we put, most importantly... The lid back on, we use this properly, and we blend it up, right? We blend it up, and then all of a sudden, whoa, I always forget that thing pops off. All of a sudden, we have a smoothie. And this is a lot better than a mangled body part, correct? And what, what we fail to realize is that this is actually what God designed for us. What God designed for us is a gift. 
something. You ever just like had a smoothie that was like the best smoothie? Yeah. I was a little disappointed I didn't see any frozen mangoes today because for me, mangoes just makes like a perfect smoothie. And what we, what we fail to realize is that when we actually follow God's instructions and we do things his way, it actually leads to our flourishing. And when we, when we do things apart from that, we're literally going against the grain of the universe. We're going against the way that God intended us to live. So here's our main point for tonight. We, we run away from sin so we can run towards God. That I know we talked about these you know, examples where Paul says flee and Joseph runs, but we're not just running away from doing sexuality the world's way, we're actually running towards God. That's why in 1 Corinthians 7, the very next chapter, Paul does talk about sexuality. He talks about marriage and commitment and loving one another. He talks about all that stuff in 1 Corinthians 7, the very next chapter. You can maybe study that in a few years when you're a little bit older, right? And what that looks like one day for you if God chooses for you to have a family and to, and to be in one of those relationships. But for us, we run away from sin so that we can run towards God. But we can't make the same mistake as the Corinthian church who thought they could run towards God and also still run towards sexuality the world's way. It's mutually exclusive. You can't do both. You'll end up being torn in two. Jesus says a slave cannot serve two masters. And so for us, we run away from that. We flee from sexual immorality, but we don't flee from sexuality. We don't flee from the people that God created us to be. We run towards him and we honor him with our bodies. As Paul writes in Romans 12, that we present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Daily, we say, God, what is the destiny that you have for me? I don't want to miss out on my destiny, like Samson did for so many years. Now, now God still used the brokenness of Samson. Don't get me wrong. He still used it. Samson still, in a sense, did rescue Israel from the Philistines. But man, he took a broken route to get there. And for you, I hope, again, that you would receive wisdom and you would receive healing tonight. So here's two important questions for you. Number one, what boundaries do you need to put in place in your life? What boundaries do you need to put in place? Think about these boundaries as the lid on the smoothie, right? What are those things that you just need to say, these are hard lines. Maybe the boundaries for you are the boundaries your parents or your leaders have already given you and you've been pushing back against those boundaries. And you say, the boundaries I need to put in place are the ones that my parents are trying to put in place and I just need to stop arguing with them. And I need to submit to them and obey them and use the wisdom that God's given them to parent me and to be my parents. For you, the boundaries that you might need to put in place is you need to delete that app. You know that, what the app that is. You know, whatever that app is for you that is always leading you to look at things you shouldn't look at. Maybe for you, it's an actual person. I need a bound, like, like Joseph with Potiphar's wife. I literally can't be around her. That's what he said. I cannot be around this woman. And for you, it's I need to block that person's contact and delete their contact from my phone. I need, to, I need to remove them from that social media profile because the conversations we get into or, or the things they ask me to do or ask me to send them or vice versa, it is not leading me to do sexuality God's way. Maybe for you the boundaries are, I just, I, just need to, I, I just need to not have a computer in my room or not have a phone in my room after 8 p.m. or whatever those boundaries are for you. That's really what your life group time is, your small group time is tonight, is to be able to talk about what boundaries do you need? Here's the reality, what Jesus says when he talks about this in Matthew chapter five, is he says, do whatever it takes, put whatever boundaries it takes in place so that you can live out sexuality God's way. I mean, he says, 
You know, chop off a hand if you have to. I'm not saying chop off a hand if you have. We talked about that. The blender, bad news, right? Just do whatever it takes. Put whatever boundaries you need in place to live out that God's way. And then the next question is really, really important is what do you need to confess? What do you need to confess? If you notice on those sheets of paper, everyone hold up your sheet of paper that you have tonight. Should, be, should have been on your seat. There's a little, per, it's a little dotted line. The reality is for some of you, as you're here tonight, you're like, amen, I'm so glad people who haven't made mistakes yet are hearing this. But here's the reality. I've stuck my whole arm in that blender. And I, I feel broken. And man, that thing about not being able to have intimacy with your future spouse, that is wrecking me right now because I feel like that's me. And I'm, I'm hurting and I'm broken and I'm bleeding. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to be made whole or healed again. And the reality is that time and time again, the Bible talks about confession is the road to healing. That in James 5.16, James writes, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. And there's one passage I want to encourage you with tonight. Uh, John writes in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Say it. Purify us from all unrighteousness. Right? And if you're here and you'd say, I just feel impure. I feel, I feel I've crossed that boundary time and time again. That God promises that coming clean, confessing those things to him. It's not that he, you know, he will forgive you, but he doesn't really want to because he's still frustrated. He's faithful to forgive you. He's righteous to forgive you. He's the, he's the father standing in Luke 15 for the prodigal son with open arms running out at the moment that you draw near to him, it says that God draws near to you as well. God is faithful and righteous to forgive you of those things and purify you. There's a promise in scripture that you can be made pure again. Even if you've crossed those things, even if you've made those mistakes a hundred times, that God can do a work of healing. There still may be consequences. There still may be real uh, things that happen as a result of that in your future and those relationships. But man, Instead of continuing to go down that road, what if today, what if tonight you confessed and you received prayer from a leader and you, and you prayed and you, you went to God with those things? I believe that God and the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead would heal you and you can experience being a new creation in Christ. And so tonight we have the opportunity to respond. Uh, if you feel like you have something that you want to confess before you share in group, I would love for you to write that down under that dotted line. Write that down under that dotted line. Rip that, you know, bottom half of that uh, slip off. And we have two little blender uh, jars up here. And that's what we're going to do. You're going to stick those things that you want to confess, the impurity, the, the immorality, stick those things in the blender as if to say, those things can be shredded up. Those things can be thrown away. Those things can die with the old person that I was. And I want Jesus, by the power of the resurrection, I want Jesus to raise me up, to cleanse me, to purify me from all unrighteousness and to give me a new life in him. So during this next time, pray, sit, pray, reflect. And as soon as you have something, if you want to come forward, respond, put those slips of paper in these two bottles. And let me pray for courage for you as you do.